0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of One Step Beyond. This is a podcast about transformation through leadership. On our show, we have conversations with people who are creating change in business, in their community, and in their lives by choosing to lead. This is about daring to overcome barriers, push past limitations, and reshape our present and our future. I've been reflecting a lot about uh, ideas lately. So much of what I love about the punk scene is just people being like, oh, I'm just gonna do this thing. And they go off and do it and they just create this wild thing just from an idea. And sometimes an idea is cool right off the bat. Like, wow, you're going to do that? That's so cool. And other times the idea is just cool to you. I'm going to do this thing. And people around you are either like, "Um, yeah, that sounds cool just because they're your friend and they're supporting you. Or they're like, meh, you know, they're kind of neutral on it. Or they're like, oh, that's terrible. That's a stupid idea. I just love that doing something and hitting on it in a way that it causes even the greatest detractor to be like oh you know what that actually was cool you know a lot of great ideas and a lot of great businesses a lot of things that we built they don't gain momentum right away in fact you got to figure it out you got to have a vision you got to push and then you create something that's undeniable that I believe really captures the company uh, liquid death I mean at the end of the day they're like a water company but is really an interesting company. It really stands out. They really created something cool that draws people to it. Good for them. I think that's just such, a, such an interesting idea. Today's guest is Steve Nilsen. He uh, goes by the nickname Sticks. He's the vice president of lifestyle marketing of Liquid Death. He leads a group of highly energetic and creative individuals as they push to put cans in hands and educate people on their badass product. Steve is an extreme sports enthusiast Loves live music and has a lot of years behind him in the beverage industry, having previously worked with brands like Paps, White Claw and Red Bull. There's a lot of great takeaways here, not just on the really interesting company that uh, is Liquid Death, but also just around Steve's path and all the things that he's done in his career and how he's gotten there. Before we get to it, I want to thank our sponsors, SE Electronics. And if you haven't yet, then please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. So let's get to the episode I'm your host, Aram Arslanian, and this is One Step Beyond. Hey everyone, and welcome back. So, like I said in the intro, there's nothing I like better than a cool idea. You know, and when an idea starts that, that moment, that energy that comes, it's like, ah, oh, that's just a neat idea. And you know, what? a neat idea doesn't mean it has to be neat to anyone else. Other people might be like, man, that's kind of lame or I'm not into that, but you know, it's cool. And then you create energy around that idea and then you build that idea. And suddenly people who are like maybe kind of neutral on it are like, yeah, that's, that's awesome. And maybe people who are detractors of it are like, no, actually that is really cool. I love the idea of making something that's undeniable from a seed of an idea, and I think that um, Liquid Death is such a perfect example of that. So like I said in our intro, today we're really lucky to have Steve, who's the vice president of lifestyle marketing at Liquid Death, and he's going to tell us a bit about like himself, his journey in the company, and we're just going to talk about like how do you take that seed of an idea and really turn it into something that's undeniable. So with that, Steve, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: I know in our intro I talked a little bit about you, I talked a little bit about the company, but why don't we start with a real simple, like really simple idea. Tell us about Liquid Death and what you guys create.
1: Well, um, if you really think about it, the the consumer brands out there that have the most fun, Mm -hmm. um, chips, soda, energy drinks are the worst for you. Mm -hmm. And You know, Mike, our founder, Mike Cesario, his, his, literally his, the first line has always been liquid death is a completely unnecessary approach to bottled water. And that's (laughs) that's literally what his his line's been. And, but he is, you know, I'm a Red Bull alumni, so Mm -hmm. I, and I had a great run there, so I have no beat with that. But let's be honest, Mm -hmm. energy drinks have a very negative connotation. And I think that when you, you know, it's it's like anything, someone sees an opportunity Mm -hmm. for a, Industry that's just underserved or hasn't had any sizzle to it at all. Mm-hmm. And if you really think about water, I mean, name a brand that's really cool. I mean, name a natural, anything like health food related that's cool. Mm-hmm. Seriously, mm-hmm. I mean, I know you've got the Cliff Bars, of the World Nervals who are trying to be relevant in lifestyle and all that. I get it to a degree. They're sponsoring Coachellas and South by Southwest and their little houses, and that's cool to a degree that they do that. They they identify these cool things, but we're more of all right. Let's step back. It's the healthiest thing in the world. That you can consume liquid wise and that the business is just stagnant not to mention and this is the biggest point is i'm embarrassed to say that i didn't realize until i got to liquid Duck how huge this plastic problem is i mean i'm mm-hmm. embarrassed to say that i don't know what a massive problem for all of us this is yeah. Yeah. and so on that we're putting our money where our mouth is and and we have three charitable partners that we work with so we actually donate money every month the cleaning up well two of the three are for cleaning up the ocean ridden of plastic and the third one is to build actually wells um for um impoverished nations or areas that need water it's called mm-hmm. the first project but that's really the, the onus in a, in a nutshell but it's just mike is an ex-creative director he'd seen my background and it was just there's a lot of synergies there because he grew up skateboarding punk rock he's from philly you know full sleep tattoos whatever and he and i hit it off like the first day when I mean, we were i think we we're on the phone for three hours you know yeah. but um I kind of take a similar approach. I, I really get tired of the term disruptor, mm-hmm. but there's no doubt we're causing a lot of issues, but not just in the water. We're, we're not just a water brand, we're a brand, you know, yeah, but we're, we are turning a lot of heads in a lot of industries. right now. So that's kind of a long winded way of what you just kind to ask me.
0: Yeah, man. And I, I love it because for me, okay. When liquid death first came on my radar, I was like, wait, what is this? Is, is this water? And I think I heard about it from, I think there's like a band on war records that, did like a partnership with you guys or maybe not a partnership that someone did like a liquid death something or other on war records and I was like what is liquid death is it like an energy drink is it like beer like I had no idea and then I was like oh it's water and I remember as soon as I I heard it it was like a one-two punch I was like huh and then I was like Whoa, that's actually brilliant. That's totally cool for the exact reason that you just said. When I go buy a bottle of water, I always have like a couple. you know, It's like, what, what bottle of water do I care about? Isn't it all exactly the same thing? That's the first thing. So it's like, what am I even getting? And the second is like, oh, man, I hate getting a bottle of water. This sucks. I don't like like adding to the problem, but I need a bottle of water. And I had this feeling when I thought about liquid death, I was like, yeah, that's pretty sick. That's like a neat thing. But I also was like, how do you do that? Because yes, you're selling water, but there is a whole other thing where you're not trying to attach yourself to something that's cool, like attaching yourself to Coachella. You are cool like that. You've created a cool brand that other people are drawn to, which is a really distinct difference. But the second part of it is uh, Spencer, who is our um, our podcast producer. He is like the most hydrated person I think I've ever met. He's a highly hydrated person. And like he he swears by liquid death, like so hard. And we had this discussion about it. I was like, all right, man, like you're you're a real believer. And when I say he's hydrated, this is a man who loves multiple beverages, and he really loves Liquid Death, so it's like I got to know more about this company. So can you tell us? Uh, I want to get to the whole death to plastic thing in a, in a second for sure, but tell us about that difference between attaching yourself to something cool versus creating something cool. Because there's a for me, you have done the second and done it very well.
1: Well, you know, I first of all there is thought put into when we do things. I think mm-hmm. a lot of times, um, Mike has an agency background, and I bring that up because at a previous employer. Perhaps Blue Ribbon, I didn't, like, for what I was doing, didn't want anything to do with an agency because Mm -hmm. I feel that there's a total disconnect between a bunch of people sitting around a conference room trying to guess what's cool versus being out in the street, getting dirty and really working with whether it be, and I've mentioned this before, you know, tattoo flowers, records, stores, skate shops, wherever the cool kids are, right? Uh But you don't just go there and drop product and then, you know, check a box. You've got to actually live it. And I Mm -hmm. think that I'm just going to be blunt with you. Like the team that I've assembled here, they're all cool. I mean, they're all up. them. I've got the bass player for Ozzy Osbourne, I've got a pro snowboarder, I've got a pro skater, but they're not sponsored athletes or musicians. They're literally on my team. And they're looking at a totally different lens than if I grabbed, and, and I need mean, no disrespect from a major brand that's recycled person with recycled ideas, okay? Because mm-hmm. I myself hold myself to that same standard. I got to keep thinking outside the box and we're having a meeting next week. For the first time since pandemic, some of the people I've even hired, I've never met before, we're having a team meeting in LA. I cannot wait. And everyone's got to present. Everyone's, I've got a lot of things planning from 2022. But you, you've got to surround yourself with people that get that and, and that, that they talk the talk and walk the walk. So for us to, to be cool I, I'd like to think that a lot of the, the, the hobbies or things that we're interested in are the cool things. is snowboarding is punk is metal is hip-hop you know mm-hmm. the things were art you know that stuff that, that moves the needle culturally and that's very important to us and that's the thing we all do it. It's not just us again taking box and so many brands, how many have gravitated and said well we've got to be in skateboarding and have utterly failed because skateboarding might be the gnarliest of, of an activity, because if you if they sniff you're a fake, you are done, you're not only done, you're like never get a second chance. Mm-hmm. So you really gotta think about that. So a lot of thought goes into, when you're mentioning the word cool, like we're very careful, we're not gonna be too cool for someone, we're just gonna be like, do our thing, and we'd like to think we're doing it in the right way. You know, without, oh. but it's from the heart, it's not just faking it, we're not just going through the motions.
0: Totally, and when you said like, hey, where are the cool kids? Like, what sticks out for me here is, we're not talking like, oh, who are the cool kids, like high school? We're like, no, who are the people who create cool things? Who are the creators? Who are the, And when we say creators, it's like people who build culture. You know, like if I think of tattoo shops or I think about skateboarders or I think about like punk bands or hip hop or or anything, like this is all the backdrop of my, of my life, basically, is like growing up with this stuff. And part of how I've built my company, um, it's like we're like a coaching company. You know, that sounds like the stuffiest thing. Like we do uh, corporate coaching and corporate education, but it's not like... My team is very much as you discussed, like I've just hired cool people. And again, cool is not like I know how to hang like, yeah, there's an element of that. But it's like, are you an interesting person? Like, do you like good stuff? Like, can I say, can I drop a quote from the breakfast club? And you like almost certainly are going to be able to play off of it. Like, do you like interesting things? Are you involved in culture? That matters to me. And like the difference between, I, I guess like the thing that I keep hitting on is like, hey, can I attach myself to something that creative people made? Or do I have creative people? Do I have people who are like cult, who are part of culture in here? And what we generate is is authentic. It's just natural because I have those people on the team.
1: Yeah, 100%. I mean, I actually saw my team members and they're, at, I won't name names, but like, I don't think they'd ever opened a Google Doc before, you know, because whatever they did for their life. But, but the, the cool thing is, Even the meetings I'm having next week, it's going to be very top line. And arguably, these people in your room are are some of the top in their game, whatever you want to call it, whatever whatever the profession is. Because I brought in professionals. It's something else. They're giving me a different lens. And they're cool. They don't know it. And people don't realize when you talk to a professional athlete, you talk to a, a, a famous musician. A lot of times, that's the last thing they want to talk to you about is too. So how fun was it playing the Budokan in Japan? You know what? I want to talk about fishing. I like to fish. You know that? Yeah. I like to pick, you know, I, some of them are a foodie. You didn't know that they're mm-hmm. in the culinary school. Like mm-hmm. that's great. You know, I love when people are kind of a Swiss army knife, but you don't know, you know? And so that comes with the interview process and I can just feel it. And there's times that I'm in my head going, they don't know it, but I'm like, Oh, you're going to get this job. Like you just yeah. get it. You get it. And you don't know you get it. And that's what I mean. versus people come to me and name drop all day long. That feels almost insecurity to me. It's like, you're trying to, you're trying to live off someone else's exhaust. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, no, I need to know what you bring to the table. And I hold myself to that same standard. Every single day, I've got to figure out how am I going to keep propelling this brand? Be part of, you know, grab an on almost same boat, right? Mm-hmm. But I got to steer the ship in a way, you know? So mm-hmm. I'm holding myself to the same standard, but I think I've been doing this long enough. You can sniff out the frauds. You can sniff out the sweet talkers and the people that really drop names and whatever. And just because you work for a big corporation, that's almost a big red flag for me because I need to know what you did to help move that chip because you can hide in the shadows of those big companies. Trust totally, me. Man. I mean, I know a big footwear company, a big sporting good company, a big agency that you can hide in the shadows. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, would their business at all skip a beat if you left? Because that's mm-hmm. important to me. Like, if, mm-hmm. if you're like a linchpin of what's going on there, I'm not saying I want to deter their business, I want to take you away. But like, if you're that important, like, yeah, I want to hear, I want to see, give me, give me examples of what they're mm-hmm. doing, you know? And that's why I constantly keep a list. Everywhere I've ever worked, all of all my accomplishments, it's crazy yeah. these word documents. But I do that, so if anyone wants to ask me, I can reference it.
0: No yeah, man, I think it's a great practice. So let's let's go back in time on you. So let's put aside liquid death for a second. Uh, where'd you grow up?
1: Minneapolis, Minnesota.
0: Okay. So what was your first kind of like thing that you latched onto that were like made you a part of like creating culture? Like that, what's that first thing where you're like, yes, I, I love this. I'm going to be a part of this.
1: My first punk show I was I didn't even know what a mosh was and it was a, the to see the descendants and oh. they, played, they played the seventh street entry which is a little little tiny squishy room next to it's like a fire trap it's right next to it built onto first avenue which was made famous by purple rain by Prince mm-hmm. and it's this tiny tiny little room but what's cool it's the history in there is insane I mean Pearl Jam and played in there you know I mean huge names. even Prince just for fun you can go you know do a surprise show but it was you know low ceiling you know, per my for like asshole to elbow, right? And they started. They kicked in their first song, like I think I, I don't want to grow up. I think it was, and you went nuts, and their shoes flying. People, I got hit in the face. Someone went over, and I'm the, the energy of it, and just even seeing back then the kids, you know, with the big boots on it and the, the flannel shirt tied around this ripped white T-shirt. You know, mm-hmm. it was just that thing. And I, I went to private school, so this was like completely other side of the tracks, right? Yeah. But the funny thing is, the private school I went to had a lot of kids that were really into music. So like early on, I got into the English beat, the cure, all these things I was exposed to because of upperclassmen. So it was kind of cool. There was kind of this little, even though we went to private school, I would see them at these shows, you know, and then you kind of learn the etiquette after a while and and all that. But that was really one, because with that, you had skaters, right? Snowboarding didn't exist at that point. But even the people you'd see doing, well, I guess graffiti, you would call it at the time. But there was so much in and around that just waiting in line in Minneapolis, this is before Ticketmaster, right? Like you're waiting in line, you have to buy a paper ticket. And you're waiting in Minneapolis and it's 20 below zero. And that's why those places have the big coat checks because you're like in a snorkel jacket because it's 20 below out. But that was part of the thing. I mean, you come out of the entry and everyone would be steaming like they're on fire because it's 20 below out, right? But everything about it, the smells, the sound, I Forgot, you know, I didn't think to wear earplugs, you know, but it was all that. So that's a long one was saying. That was like my first going. That's the first time I saw someone wearing pants that were in the army.
0: Yeah. So, so. You get in, you have that first experience, and you're hooked. Yep. And then what?
1: Then, um, what really accelerated it is, you know, what used to be called Northwest Airlines is now Delta Airlines. Uh, they're called Northwest Orient, and they would fly directly to Hawaii. And I had relatives in Hawaii, so we would go once a year and go see them. And what accelerated was the fact I just got absolutely enamored with surf culture because i'd go over there and get my op cord shorts that were like they'd probably be illegal now they're so short but you know those cord you know right <laughs> shorts but I, got that. I started getting the brands like lightning bolt that's the first time i saw stussy that's when massimo was actually a surf brand they're, they're not you know now you know whatever happened to that but um i bring it back to minnesota and people were like that is the coolest print i've ever seen or that is the coolest thing i'm like isn't this cool isn't this cool you know it's like i was bringing you know, that's the brilliance of some of these surf brands. Like Roxy, for instance, it makes a girl who lives in West Virginia feel like a surfer if she puts yeah. it on, you know. Yeah. And it was just that part of it. And, and same with surf culture. They had a bit of the, there's the music to it, part of it. Um, they had the, I guess it'd be an art, but the, the whole thing of beach and people always ask, if you'd be any professional athlete, what would you be? I'd be like a surfer. Bar none. I mean, I don't have to worry about sharks and drowning, but like, have you ever seen where they do the professional surf events? It's like the most beautiful places on the earth. Like J Bay, Tarua, like all these places. I mean, it's insane. The, M- the Maldives, you know, not to mention everyone in the posse is usually very good looking, you know, mm-hmm. and they're all yeah. eating very well and very healthy. So mm-hmm. that was it. But that was something that really was a catalyst for me, being able to be exposed to that. Because I, if I hadn't seen, experienced that surf culture, and, you know, kids are skating, you know, and stuff mm-hmm. like that, but that, that was part of it too
0: yeah and then like everything you're saying like i I think it's getting me to think about um ads in trans world or in Thrasher when I was a kid, and I'd look at those and I would just be like like Thrasher for me was just like gateway like you know the music told me all about music, told me about skate culture, like really like it was cool it was like well done journalism that's based on a culture and it I would get Thrasher in Calgary, Alberta, and it made me feel like I was a part of something. And as if that thing was just outside my front door, even if it was like 30 below in Calgary in January. So that idea of like being able to connect to something and feel like a part of something is, I think, is just such an important part of like whatever you're creating and whatever, whatever business you have and whatever brand that you're building. Because so much of that can, can give people like meaning and community. And it's a super important thing. But let's go, let's keep going with you. So you found, you know, you kind of found your thing early in life. What about, what was your first entry into the professional world? What were you doing in your first like real job?
1: Kind of a low question. Uh, well, I had a lot of internships and um, and we can talk about this later, but it, it's taught me where I'm mentoring students now that these internships taught me more than anything what I didn't want to do, okay? Mm-hmm. So that led to that and that's what allegedly led to my Landing a job with Airwalk Footwear in the mm-hmm. mid '90s, and you gotta remember speaking of Thrasher, when I'd go to these, I felt like <laughs> I got my first skateboard young, and I I, I loved skate shops because they always had cool music playing, people are here, and those Thrashers would be sitting there, and the pages would all be bunny, like all bent over in yeah, grease, yeah. and everyone. <laughs> but if you remember, but it came full circle, mm-hmm. you were in the back of a Thrasher back then. Mm-hmm. You would have the first ad of a, a Burton was. Like advertising in there. They're no dummies, but you can no. order a snowboard in the back the other thing is, was one of my favorite labels of all time, music of those SST records. And that had Husker Du, which is a favorite band. And you got to remember, I grew up on Husker Du, replacements, Solo Sound. Solo Sound was punk mm-hmm. in Minneapolis. It was an amazing music scene. But that all tied it in. I was like, oh my God, I can buy Hooskerdoo album in the back of the trash. Even yeah. though I could just go down to Northern Lights, which was the record store at the time and buy it. But that was like, it tied it all into me. I'm like, this is it. Like, cool clothes are in there, skating, the lifestyle, and then the music. But um, what I did was I had this epiphany that I I just knew I couldn't be behind the desk. i just got worried about way, I am. I'm the the only one in my family without an MBA. I have my BA, it's not my MBA. And because I just didn't see a need to do any more schooling. I didn't know what would would I possibly do that was gonna get me where I wanna go. And I gotta be honest, especially coming from the private school, like after I graduated college, people looked at me like I was kind of crazy. Because most Mm -hmm. of my friends at the time it was, you're gonna be a broker or a doctor or a lawyer. That's what you do. You make a good living and you'll go and learn. It's just didn't, I couldn't do it. And it was some, It was a rough time for me. I got to be honest with you. But it came down to me literally pounding the pavement at trade shows. And it's just, I needed someone to give me a chance. And Airwalk gave me a chance. And the rest is history. I got to be honest with you. But I told this story before. And so people heard it. I'm sorry, but this it needs to be said. I, because it gives up a huge learning for me. I was going to be a copywriter. I was taking ads of companies that I really admired and changing their ad up and making it funny. I always believed that that's how I got through school and I did pretty well. Is that the professors and teachers I think liked to look at my papers because at least if it wasn't that creative content, at least it was funny. You know, like I, yeah. I thinking that. And um, I picked out a brand that I really admired, and there was a brand called SMP that ended up being bought by Ride Snowboards, and they had the old STP logo, but it said SMP, and I was just enamored with them. And they offered me like a basically a warehouse job in Chula Vista. And I was really considering it because who wouldn't want to be in San Diego. But I just, anyway, Airwalk at that time was in every magazine. They were in Raygun. They were in Rolling Stone. They were in Naaman. And they were doing two-page spreads, too. So I, I sent all these articles. I, I found out who the director of the VP of marketing was. And I was taught early on by my brother and other people. Like, you want to work, you go for the person you want to work for. You don't go through HR. You, you mm-hmm. attack that person. Mm-hmm. Not literally, but you know what I mean? <laughs> and this was, before. this was like early, early dial-up email days but it was phone. And... I basically called, called, sent letters, all the stuff, and this woman picked up. And I said, "Hey, it's Steve Nelson." And she's like, "Oh, it's you." Yeah, (laughs) guy. She goes, "Kid." She's like, "Listen, my house just burned down, and I got to go to Europe in like three hours. I got no time. All right, like maybe we'll catch up sometime. Hang up." And so I sent her a smoke detector in the mail, and she called me back and said, "You have balls, like." And she flew me out for an interview, and I got, I'm not being cocky. I'm just saying, if I've ever gotten an interview of a job I want, I get the job. And I was like, mm-hmm. I'm going to nail this job, and the rest is history. But I i keep – I say that example again, and again, some people may have heard that story before, but I, I tell my students that, that I'm mentoring, like, think outside the box. What is going to attract me? Because I now the way we've grown as a brand, I'm getting approached every single day by agencies. People want to get hired, athletes, teams. Everyone wants to get sponsored, and that's flattering. I mean, it is beyond flattering. But again, we've got to be careful. We don't want to spread ourselves too thin. But you got to prove to me that you are thinking outside the box, that you're going to hustle, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's really essentially what kicked it off for me. And through that, once I got my foot in the door, I kind of made my way. Like I, But I had to prove to them why they, I need to do what I do. And So I got up a ladder pretty quick over there.
0: For you, it sounds, and correct me if I'm wrong, like, you know, you learned a lot in your internships, but you said you learned like, hey, I don't want to be like this. I don't want to do that stuff. So when you hit the ground running at Airwalk, You knew what you wanted to do. And I'd imagine you've honed it over the years, but what can you say for yourself and the professional you are now and how you approach things now, what's the big difference or some differences between where, what you were like to where you are now based on your experience? Are you exactly the same or have you made any big leaps in your process?
1: You know, I, I I don't think I've had leaks because I've always been pretty anal retentive and organized. And Mm -hmm. I've always prided myself with my career that I just don't miss deadlines. Mm. I don't. And I think that there's been times where I've been reeled in where like Sticks, which is my nickname, are like, you don't need to jump on the sword. It's cool. Mm-hmm. It happens. But I feel, I believe in like owning it. Mm-hmm. And so I really don't like it when people say, but, but, but I didn't make excuses. Just own it. Move on. Mm-hmm. Okay. I screwed up. Mm-hmm. Where I learned that was a big learning, which I took later in my career was fast forward at Airwalk. I became a snowboard boot developer. Mm-hmm. So I'd spend three weeks a month in Asia building snowboard boots, and I loved it. And I actually took my, uh, one of my skates, hockey skates, over to the factory and said, this is how boots have to fit. Hockey skates, if the right ones, are the best fitting footwear you can have, right? And I said, this, so we came up with an L-pad and all this other technology. But I remember I was working on our SMU program, Special Makeup. And our biggest customer was called Dart Sports. And ironically, it was based out here in Colorado. And we missed the delivery window. Now, it wasn't, and again, it wasn't any one person. It was just a supply chain issue, whatever, okay? Doesn't matter, right? We didn't deliver. The rep at the time was with me, and these guys at guards were just licking their chops. They were couldn't wait to rip our heads off. Just absolutely just like cage fury, right? Because we were such a big part of their boot business. And he walks in and goes, Again, pardon my English, did we fuck you guys or what? And it completely diffused the situation. And he basically just said, How can we wreck? Yeah, you know, what we we know what the problem is. What do we got to do make it up? Instead of saying, Well, the factory didn't deliver or, or the ship capsized or whatever it was like the boots weren't there and we're we screwed up well mm-hmm. how we can fix it and that was it versus just beat us up all you want well we got to make a resolution here you know yeah. and I, I really learned from that and then you got to hold people accountable and i think yeah. a lot of people there's a lot of this these days and that's mm-hmm. what i really I, I not only make myself do it but i i hold people working for that like you need like there's a deadline you got to meet it you know mm-hmm. bottom line but yeah. i think that um early on because of some of my counterparts, it, it, it didn't, and it, I, got blessed the way I was raised by my parents, about you know, treat others and want to be treated, mm-hmm. you know, put a hard day's work in, you know, karma, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. The people I work with were, were not doing things that were real appropriate, or they were kind of lazy and kind of masking it. And I, that just wasn't okay to me. And so I just really have, I wasn't a place to call people out, but now I am. And I'm like, no, that doesn't happen on my watch. So it was kind of disappointing because sadly, some of these people ruined it for guys like me because... The, the higher ups would be like, oh, you're just one of those guys who's just going to snowboard all day, or you're just going yeah. to golf all day because they screwed up for someone like me. And I'm like, no, that's actually not the way I was raised. You know how I do things, I'm going to over deliver probably early, mm-hmm. and but sadly you get you know one step forward, two steps back when you're surrounded by people that are sandbaggers. And there was, mm-hmm. there's definitely some dead weight, yeah, you know, everywhere. For
0: so you mentioned a few times students. So tell us about that.
1: I'm a mentor at the Lead School of Business at the University of Colorado, mm-hmm. and it was something that I. I have no affiliation with the university other than I have dear friends that went there, and it's a, it's a wonderful place. It's a beautiful place, man. Our campus is insane. I get why everyone wants to go there. And my dad always told me that the most valuable thing you can give someone is their time. Is your time. Mm-hmm. I thought that you know I've seen kids, especially nowadays, growing up in social media. They're, they're, <laughs> someone needs to give some advice here because it's it's this ruse almost of what the world's really like. And I I want to give knowledge of some maybe not, not so much pitfalls but things to avoid the things that I learned over time in my career. But I also believe that they need a dose of reality. Mm. And in my last call there was 200 kids on there. And I basically came out of the gate and was like, most jobs suck. You're all graduating. I get most jobs are brutal. And the thing is, all your buddies and girls and friends are going to send their pictures of their toes in the sand somewhere. It's their token vacation for the year. And they're chained to a desk otherwise. They hate it. And even if they say they work, that's a really cool brand really do some digging and find out how cool their job really is. Now, there's going to be some that absolutely love maybe working in an agency or lucky enough to get a job at Nike. But on top of that, let's use Nike as an example, just because like be your friends there. But just because you work at Nike doesn't mean, to be honest with you, like if you worked at Nike and you're going to come work for me, like I'm going to dig even deeper on you because I need someone who can fill out a FedEx form, use a tape gun, book their own travel. Like none of that happens at Nike, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a reason why Nike is a multi-billion dollar company. I'm not picking on them. I'm just saying that there's certain people I need scrappy people and on top of that I need scrappy creative people mm-hmm. and so I tell these kids like hey I'll take a look at your resume what are you interested in doing I, I urge any of them that have any kind of debt do whatever you got to do to pay that off first and foremost then think about what you really really what your heart wants but don't set yourself up for failure or disappointment because it is you know to have the career I have has not been all easy but I also have a certain lifestyle I, I require you know and mm-hmm. I made it so on my own. There was no playbook. There was no one to mentor me. Mm-hmm. So I figured, you know what? How can I give back? And so that's why I'm doing it for these students. And I just mm-hmm. just approved again to do it for another year next year. And hopefully we'll get back to in person. So I really enjoy that sitting on the panels. But now, obviously, obviously this year, everything has been via Zoom. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know. I really enjoy it. And I think that if I ever got to where I could retire from meeting, I would do it. I, I'd love to consult. But I really enjoy helping. I really, mm-hmm. really do. And it's not for the wrong reasons. I just I want to give back. Because I've had a great run and I'd like to share my knowledge and things, good and bad, that Mm -hmm. I've gone through. Mm -hmm. And I just think it's very important.
0: What's the hardest lesson that you personally have learned professionally? Like the hardest thing that you had to learn?
1: I think the hardest thing I've learned is to see, and I'm going to use Airwalk as the example. We were pretty much untouchable in the mid-90s as far as a brand, even outside of footwear. And to see the mismanagement of the brand and I was not in a position to make change that I know we needed to make and they weren't listening to me. So by the time my friends and I got a position of change, it was the the, the ship was pretty much underwater at that point. We were bailing out. We're using teaspoons for the Titanic. You know, I mean, it was just, there was no way. And that was really hard lesson because I knew it wasn't right. And the other thing is the people, some of the people were very unscrupulous, like borderline, like unlawful. It was some of the actions they took with our business. And there was no distribution strategy. Just kept, and back to skateboarding. We absolutely 100% screwed over the skate business. We, we screwed over all those little tiny independent shops that relied on the airwalk business because next thing you know, we were in malls. So we paid for all the sins of the big brands that are in malls now. We did. That's why the PacSuns, the Zoomies, all that, that would have been like, God forbid, 25 years ago to have no way welcome would ever be near a mall. Well, now they've got, you know, Zoomie specific jeans probably, you know? Yeah. So they really did pay for it and, and Airlocks never recovered ever to this day. And last I saw there were like I saw watches like on a table somewhere, like outside of a discount store. Sat to see a brand. It was once mighty failed. Well, but that would be my biggest disappointment, was just I, I couldn't I was helpless. I couldn't, I, I would give advice and they just look down on me. Like, what do you know? I'm like, actually more than you know, because I'm actually on the street, I am going to shows. I'm around kids, I snowboard, I skateboard, I do all these things, and you're doing the wrong things. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't listen to me. You know.
0: So that that super hard lesson. How do yeah. you apply what you learn from that to your role now?
1: Well, I think that you've really got to be cognizant of business and where your brand sits. Yeah. And you can't overextend yourself. You don't want to be a mile, what is it, a mile wide and it's thick? You know what I mean? Like you want to make sure that you're crossing your T's and dotting your I's. And even down to our t-shirts and things, like the thread, we want to make sure every little bit is dialed. Like because I was a boot developer or I'm at, I look at the bar tack on jeans. That's how like detail oriented mm-hmm. I am. And I think that we really got to be careful. We don't, if they say in the advertising world, you want to jump the shark, you know, the whole thing with. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we want to get to that point where we're doing that. And so I'm, I'm pretty like, I'm kind of not the gatekeeper for the brand. Cause Mike ultimately is, but like, I'm very like hypersensitive to what we're getting involved in, mm-hmm. you know? And that's what I'm, I'm, I'm trying to convey to my team. This is a really good look. This is not a good look, you know? And so, that's how I'm. I'm every day with like with that because the the growth we're having with the growth comes more opportunity, but it also comes more opportunists. to have yeah. the wrong thing in mind. They're looking to hitch their wagon of momentum to, to keep themselves relevant, maybe. And yeah. so I got to look out for those people because there are some real savvy people out there that are sweet talkers that try to get in your back pocket, but it's not for the right reasons. And oh, I've yeah. seen, I've been there. Unfortunately, they picked the wrong guy to that because I will, I will find the skeletons in the closet if they're there. You know, yeah. you know. So. That those are really some learnings right there.
0: So tell me about your management style. Cause like, I, I, I just want to put it out there. Like the way that you approach business, I can relate to I'm, I'm, I love, I'm real interested in like your management style and how you developed it.
1: You no, know, the way I, <laughs> my boss, who I'm going to see tomorrow, actually, who hired me at Red Bull. The two, the first two things he said to me, and I just reminded him of this. we just went to dinner, um, couple weeks ago, he actually left Red Bull. And he's he one of the primary is- at GoPro. He was there when that blew up and uh-huh. uh, dear friend. And again, I'm gonna see him tomorrow at the GoPro Mountain Games in Vail. Um, two things he said to me, I think it was really funny. Um, and then there's a third example. He goes, all right, here's the deal. Cause I was one of the first five, okay. Sports mind people at Red Bull. He goes, um, I'm gonna give you a deadline for whatever we're doing. And again, I pardon my English to anyone out there. I don't fucking care what you do. I skate on, just get it done. Just get it by the day. I'm never going to ask you where you are. I'm going to do it. Just do it. I don't care if you sleep all day. Like, just get it done. All right. Yeah. Secondly, I'm never going to look at your expense report. I'm just going to approve it. So don't fuck me over. You know, so that was two things. And then an example was I was trying to sign an athlete. And I live at 8,000 feet in the mountains, of Colorado. And he knows right well, like it snows good at my house. It's going to be good down the road at Loveland Skier, which is my home mountain. And it started just nuking on a Monday night. And we had this call that was going to be the, the athlete, right before X game, it's going to be the athlete, their agent, their mom, like all of these people, right? And my boss. And he calls me, he goes, "Money, I guess, dude, I think we got to change our Tuesday morning call to like four o'clock in the afternoon. And I was like, why? And he goes, dude, I, I'm looking at the weather right now. He lived in Lake Tahoe. He's like, you're getting hammered. And he's like, go ride in the morning. I don't want you at nine in the morning, staring out your window and you're watching at snow. Get it out of your system and then we'll have the call. I mean, it's like the smartest thing ever. Why wouldn't I want to take a bullet for that guy? Right? Because he's basically giving me enough rope to hang myself. So I would like go above and beyond for that guy. And I think anyone who worked for him would do the same. And that's the way with my team now, I've made it very clear to them. If I text you or call you, it's not for fun. Like I need you to get back to me like immediately, but I don't do it very often. So they're very good about getting back to me. But it's just, you know, I expect that. That's mutual respect there. But I also don't put up with it either. That's not the way it works. And I don't, I don't really particularly take joy in this. I'm not a micromanager, but I don't ask very much of you. So it shouldn't be super hard, but it's it's been very little minute things. But that's essentially how I do it. You know, I'm just it's, it's mutual respect here, mm-hmm. but you don't want me to start micromanaging. Me, you know, yeah. and I won't. I haven't yet. I haven't had to do that. But I'm a very detail-oriented guy, and I keep a pretty gnarly schedule. So mm-hmm. be respectful of my time too.
0: Yeah. So that leads me into a question that you know Spencer teed up for me in, in the pre-interview that I I've been waiting to ask. Tell me about your anti-bullshit mentality.
1: Anti bullshit mentality. Well, for, for liquid liquid data, for me personally, both. Well, I think that for me personally, there's a lot to be said for a firm handshake and eye contact, and no. I I really believe that. And, and I noticed when I got into action sports, there are all these bros. You know, it's a little bro <laughs> thing. You know, they're all each other, so they all act <laughs> cool. But you, you go to like a formal event. Mm-hmm. And they don't even know where the salad fork goes. They, they kind of lock up <laughs> if they've got to talk in public they, whatever. They're no longer that cool guy to me. They're like, no, actually yeah. you're very immature. Yeah, and yeah. so even being a father of identical 16 year old boys, I still make them write handwritten notes. Thank you notes. That, that's yeah. like a lost art. Like mm-hmm. you actually took time to write who writes anymore and put a post-it stamp on it and put it in the mail. And I mm-hmm. think that that I can sniff through When people try to fake their way through it, that doesn't, that doesn't work with me. I don't know. It's maybe I do have a bullshit meter, whatever you want to call it. But even in business, you know, people, as I said to you earlier, are are coming at us, but saying, you don't even have to pay me. I just, you know, I just want my logo on your car and on their car or on my Jersey or I'm like, no, like that you're, you're basically going and pretending like we have something to do with you when we don't like, I mean, I'm, I'm flattered by that, but. I even had a guy who just sent over an edit this video. It doesn't matter what it is. He said, "Do you mind if I post this?" And I said, "Absolutely. I have a problem with you posting that because he's a creative guy. He's you know he does photography and film and everything. It's gonna look like we hired you and we didn't. And by the way, that's totally off brand what you did. And I mean, it just shows us that you don't get it. It's kind of like when I was at past an agency. Go, we want to work with you. You know the hipster thing. They use the word hipster. I mean, you don't use the word hipster around." Apps, that was douche. That was like clown. That was Chad, We you want to call it. You never mentioned that word. Now you could argue that set of people, wherever you want to define them, really helped revive past. Sure. Maybe it was what we were talking about. Punk rockers, skaters, whoever it is, part two artists. But you don't be that literal. You know what I mean? And so for me, I am curious to see when these guys come at me hard on LinkedIn or whatever, what do they really think of the brand? And, and it just shows me, are you a brand person or not? Because you just don't get it. Like just because you just you know regurgitated our website doesn't mean you know what the hell you're doing, you know? Yeah. So that's essentially in a way what you're saying. How do you sniff that out? And mm-hmm. for me, I don't I don't know what it is. It's almost like you know, people use the term energy, someone's mm-hmm. energy, and I never really understood that till later in life, but you can just sense. I can just, I can I don't know. It's let me give you an exa- example. There was a person, and I, I'm just gonna keep this very top line because I'm not the type of person that ever speaks bad of someone. There was someone that wanted to get hired. And they talked a huge game, and people interviewed him, and I did, wasn't feeling right in my, my gut. It just wasn't, and I'm a firm believer you got to follow your gut. I did some research and found out this person basically embezzled from a company got canned, and no one bothered to do any background check. I could sniff it out. I knew something wasn't right, and I had to do some deep digging because no one wanted to throw this guy into the bus. And I was like, this isn't right. This is right. And the bus part is? this this dude literally like tried to turn it on me that like i'm like i'm mean and i'm a jerk i had it out for him no i actually just have it out for people who lie you know like who embezzle. i don't know last i checked that's not a good thing you know so that (laughs) was you know my gut talking to and it was again typical fast walker dropping names if you have to drop names to me you know then that it's kind of like my biggest gripe with instagram is when i see people that that at one point did work for vans and i'm happy for them but they keep posting their team tripped to Chile in 2015, but they've been unemployed for how long? It's like, dude, that was great. You, you keep posting what you did. What have you done now? That's what I need to know. I, I know you have this experience. I get it. But that was 2015. Like TikTok wasn't around then. You know, like there was things that, so I, I really, I appreciate it when people have like this good experience. What else have you done to evolve yourself? Not only as a person, but your business. And I need to know that. And I will, I will ask a lot about that
0: yeah yeah totally um all right so let's shift back into liquid death talk to me about the slogan death to plastic
1: mike is really the one again i give him all the credit in the world but i don't again back to earlier in our conversation people realize what a massive problem this is i i don't have the exact percentages right here so don't you know i i, I have to go back and look at it. but i believe it's like 77 of the aluminum and i apologize it's one of my parents learned the text um is still in circulation from like the late 1800s, mm-hmm. right? So aluminum just keeps getting recycled. Plastic, on the other hand, I again, mean, I don't know the exact number. I believe it's like 10% of this reduced plastic has been recycled in 40 years. What? Yeah, it's, wow. it's insane. That could be off a of bit, but it's an insane number. There's no comparison to aluminum, right? Mm-hmm. And so this literally is like a problem that needs to be addressed, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you could have too much water and die, you could have too little water and die, right? But liquid gut, the other thing is like, I, I get a kick out of when people go, but it's. I was talking to a Christian rock festival the other day, and they were really good-hearted. And I wasn't. I was not patronizing them whatsoever, and they were actually really laughing. But I'm like, the good Lord wants you to use aluminum. They don't want you pollution anymore. All you know, oh, plastic, you know. And they're like, they started laughing, whatever. And I was trying not to patronize them, but I'm like, you know, you know. So when I talk to them, I'm like, you do realize that that cap is just big enough to choke adult, like a dolphin's blowhole, right? Mm-hmm. You know, even though it's a festival, it's like in middle America. But I just, it's a thing where we, we're really trying to bring this to the forefront and it's a conversation piece. You know, even a can alone for someone who's sober, someone who doesn't drink, they're out at night. They have this can in their hand. It's like they're more part of the group, the psychology of it. They're more part of the group because you have that glass of the wine in it. It could be a vodka soda or it could be that, there's nothing wrong with it. But there's something for people that, and then youth. I mean, kids think, they're, and I, I mentioned this to Spencer when he spoke with me before, that they think they're doing something naughty, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I've had parents, literally just happened again today. I was on the phone, soccer mom. She goes, my child will not go to school without that can in their lunchbox. They walk around school and everything else and it's like they feel like they're doing something not even, but they think they're adulting, you know? But they want yeah. to drink. They want to hydrate. Like, yeah. who would have thought that? And that's another thing. The amount of people that come to me and said, I've never drank enough water. You know, I don't drink enough water. And I'm like Spencer, I'm like oral fixated. I'm always having something in my hand. But I, um, you know, to bring that to the forefront of this death to plastic, well, we really got to do this because... <laughs> I'm not saying it's insurmountable, but it's really bad and mm-hmm. to bring eyes to that, um, which is why I don't know if you saw Loving homes for plastic, with the campaign that we did, did you hear about this?
0: I know I was about to ask about it. So could you tell us about it?
1: Yeah. So basically two of the biggest polluters are the soda companies. And we basically made prepaid, prepaid postage because people don't realize also that you can ma- in the United States anyway, you can literally mail a coconut. You can literally put stamps on a coconut and they'll take they'll it back. So the idea is these big why, polluters.
0: Why, why would people realize that <laughs> like, how many people are out there tr- are trying experiments with what can you can mail?
1: Uh, like, yeah. yeah. Like <laughs> that out. It was hilarious. We started to that, <laughs> but basically you can take this prepaid postage and it has the address of these polluters on there and it'll be mailed back to their headquarters.
0: And so you are getting people to mail back their cans to or fine. their bottles the, the or their bottles. Yeah. yeah.
1: Not cans, but just plastic. Just
0: bottles. Yeah.
1: Buying, loving homes for plastic. If you're gonna like <laughs> trash around, like here, take it back. It's yours. It's <laughs> that recyclable. You know. Uh,
0: and did people do you know, it?
1: You no, know, I have. I haven't. We're, we're probably gonna do like, like a, a, a full scrub on that and see what what kind of you know, how many we moved of those those uh, labels. But more than anything else, it got people talking. Talking yeah. why? Because plastic's a huge problem. And what is Liquid Death gonna do about it? And I think you got to remember that we do have this cause you know, with working with these nonprofits, but we are not just talking. And a lot of people, back to what you're saying about sniffing out the fake, the bullshit, they talk, but it's like, what Mm -hmm. are you doing though? Like, you've got to do something. A lot of people love to be like, yap, 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 but -hmm. are they really acting? And we're going, you know what? Now that I'm going to donate to these companies, Pentia Seed and five years who who work on ocean conservation, we're going to actually like help the cause, like we'll we'll eat the postage to get these to sent back, to the big, the big, the big guys, and see if they see what they come, you know, poke the bear, so to speak.
0: Yeah, I love it. Yeah, and just to go to what you said there, like, I mean, uh, anyone who's on LinkedIn or is in the world at all, you know how corporations glom onto whatever social thing has crossed the line from being, oh, we wouldn't touch that with a ten foot pole, to, oh, if we touch that now, it's gonna get us business. So it's like, you know, all of these, all these corporations that maybe ten or twenty years ago would never support uh, pride pride day or pride month or pride week, but now are all rainbow flag. It's like, Hey, I appreciate that. It's being done. Like, I love to see the support of that community and Oh, you're only doing that. Cause it's, you view it as like a, a marketing g- gimmick to get more business. And, and I want to say they only do that. Cause of course the people who are making decisions 20 years ago probably aren't the same people making decisions today. So the companies change, they grow, but I'd say like a real difference when you're talking about that campaign, you did that a, yeah, it gets people talking, but also it's kind of like, no, I'm going to use some sharp elbows here to get you to draw attention to your own stuff. Like, let's actually have that discussion and you're going to say all the right things if I try and have the, the discussion with you in a traditional way. So let's try and have the conversation in a different way. And also it's like kind of creates a buzz. I like that. I think it's a neat idea. That idea of getting businesses to change. If we just do the same game, they're just going to play the same the, the same playbook. Yeah,
1: yeah exactly. Yeah, you, you, you nailed it. I really don't do well when people just go through the motions. Like they feel like they just kind of have to do that. Um in any of the movements that are happening or things. And I agree with you. I think it is good that they're acknowledging it, but it's it, it really's gotta have uh, some heart behind it versus just checking a box. I'm not I'm all I'm all my to-do list every day, but I'm not into just checking a box to do it, you know, to mm-hmm. to do it. I, I, I see corporations. Um I I was at Winter X Games and there was a major mobile carrier and I met the director of marketing and this person you could tell just had no idea what they were even doing there, why they were there, but they had their token banner check on the side of the half fight. They had their tent check. They all were in Columbia vests with the name of the check, which no one in action sports is going to gravitate. Plus I doubt they signed up any plans being there, but I'm sure when they did the presentation in Chicago to show the higher ups and to, you know, that they check boxes. Like we did that, but I don't think anyone did a deep dive. Like did we really like enhance the this phone carrier brand mm-hmm. by doing that? To me, it was someone sitting in a rock going, you know, we need to be part of action sports. Just like you said, any of these movements, we need to be a part of it. Great. Okay. That's step one. What are you really going to do to flush out a program, a plan, an activation to do this? And is it scalable? You know, because oftentimes a lot of what I do, I'm, again, this is hypocritical. Most of my career has been very hard to scale. So people understand marketing, know that it's building brand equity, mm-hmm. you know? So i if I have to go head to head with CFOs, which I do, not in a bad way, I'm like, they're like, you spent what on the amount of samples you're giving out? I said, yeah, I gave away thousands of cases. But do you know how many people posted for us without me asking? Because they're just enamored with the can, and I don't have to mm-hmm. ask them, you know. But did that lead us selling more cans? Probably, but I could never say how many, you know. And there's some people that don't get it, and that's why I don't work with some of those people because mm-hmm. I've definitely been in situations where I explain what I do, and they just it's just crickets. They're like, yeah. I, I don't, I don't get it, you know. at all, and I had. Um, someone, which has been a very motivating factor for me, say to me, to my face, what you do is soft metrics, is what he said to me. And I was like, you don't get it. Like, (laughs) I just, I don't get it. Like, if you're saying that soft metrics, because I'd like to think, and I can say this at this point now, Mm -hmm. just check my crack record. Check my crack record. Have you you seen anything I've done where we haven't gone up? Mm -hmm. Just saying Like I had I took my licks at airwalk on how not to do business, which was my MBA on how not to do business. And I am like now hypersensitive to not screwing up a good thing. So the fortunate thing is I've been in the driver's seat now and in certain ways, in different capacities of these brands. And I've surrounded myself, not by me. Some have been my hires. Others have just been luck of the draw, but I'm surrounded with really good people that believe in the common theme. And that is dangerous. If you've got a bunch of people who believe what you're doing, it's, it's pretty, I mean, look at the real successful brands out there. They drink the Kool-Aid, so to speak, and they're pretty gnarly. Like, mm-hmm. you know, look how successful the biggest brands are, the apples of the world. I mean, I can't speak to Amazon because that's a whole beast it's on its own, but like the apples of the, the Nikes of the world, the virgins of the world. Like, you know, those names keep coming up, you know. There's a reason why that that's successful. And people, you talk to people who work there, you very rarely say, yeah, I mean, the apple just sucks. Mm-hmm. You, you know, oh, Nike that blows. So yeah, some of the better um, experiences than others. Mm-hmm. But man, there's people who in those departments, I mean, you can't tell me that the Nike basketball, for instance, I mean, can you imagine the amount of energy in there and let those guys all come commenting what they're doing? And, you know, you can do a lot of damage. You got people believing in what you're doing. You know, uh, and that's yeah. my job is to like keep the scope going, so to speak. But getting the right pieces of the puzzle in here. So we have this kind of we keep going. And, and that's where we are now. I feel like it's like Braveheart. We're all kind of marching and going, <laughs> we're going. You know what I mean? And yeah. we are. we're like all pumped to be there. We all believe in what we're doing and mm-hmm. come, at, come at me, bro, as they say, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's I dangerous, love it, man. man. You got a common, it's David and Goliath in a way.
0: I love it. All right. I got two questions for you as we're closing off. Actually, I'm going to, I got three. For you as in your role today, not as Liquid Death, not as a company, but you as a leader, how do you define success for yourself?
1: I find, I, I actually define the success when I see, these visions or plans that i have come to fruition but a rising tide raises all boats and if i know that that i have something that and people are again on either side so to speak in formation like that to me is success when you see that when people are talking about it going i remember that i do that when there's that that moment so to speak you know that to me is success because people are like you you have a crew that believes in you that's first and foremost and then you convey that to the public whatever it is consumers and they're like i get it like that 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 makes sense Heck so yeah. that to me, it, it success.
0: All right. Question number two. Top three, and listen, this could change tomorrow for you. It could change next week for you. So I won't hold you to this. Today, what are your top three punk records from Minneapolis of all time?
1: Punk rockers from Minneapolis.
0: Punk punk records.
1: Oh, punk records. I love Husker Du, Metal Circus. I love mm. Soul Asylum, Hang Time. And mm-hmm. it's a tough one with the replacements. It's either going to be Stink with this, which is the EP. Or, oh God! Sorry, Ma, to take out the trash. Forget to take out the trash. That's that's probably the three right there because those are pretty raw. Mm-hmm. Uh, Soul Asylum, again, as we know, got a little more poppy as they got older, that's fine. Everyone that Who's Who's do, unfortunately, went away before they should have, mm-hmm. and then the replacements is just—they were always a train wreck. But Paul Westbrook can write a good lick, you know. Mm-hmm. So I would say those. But that Who's um, Who's is definitely top. Those guys—they were, were so loud and so good, and it's a shame that those kids these days will never even know. I mean, a lot of kids, obviously weren't even born when on Nirvana was
0: around, that's less. Yeah. You know, there's, I think there's a, a big resurgence in awareness of who's gonna do. There's a, a podcast called Nothing to Do. That's uh that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, and when you hit those three, Patrick was on the other side of the computer, nodding in heavy approval. So the youth is with you Is is all I have to say. Um, and Spencer was probably drinking some kind of beverage. We don't, we don't know. All right. Final question for you, man. As we're closing off, this has been a super cool interview and you can speak to a lot of things with really great depth. If you're thinking about our audience, our audience is comes from all different backgrounds. We've got people from like the punk and hardcore scenes. We've got people from the corporate world. We have artists, we have musicians who listen to this, but they all come to the podcast for one reason. And that reason is to learn about leadership. Like, what does it mean to be a leader? And it could be a leader in business, it could be a leader in community, it could be a leader in your own life. So, if you're thinking about leadership and your own path along here, is there anything that you want to share with the audience about leadership from your perspective?
1: For me, it's it, I tell my students that I'm standing out because I did what I say I'm going to do. That is a pathetic state of affairs now. If I stand out because I did what I say I'm going to do, because a lot of the world, whether it be in entertainment, in experts they always say, yeah, I got you, I'll call you, I'll do whatever you know, it's, it's pretty straightforward. Treat others as you want to be treated. Right. And my favorite saying is never look down on someone unless you're there to help them up. That's it. Mm. That's pretty, pretty elementary, right? If, if we all did that, we'd be in a better place. Right. But just do what you say you're going to do. Firm handshake, look someone in the eye. If you say you can't do it, just admit you can't do it. Just say it. Don't, don't promise the world under delivered. Right. I always, you know, and you don't want to sandbag anything, but you want to like under promise over Right. But I just, I, I, unfortunately that, I think that that's lost. You know, these, this day and age, I think there's a lot of lip service and very little follow through. If I'm going to stand out because of it, fine. I'm never going to change the way I do business. But if you're going to say, I, I, I believe in leading by example, I guess, does it follow me? Like, you know, I, I, and I hope to learn from people that I hire. Trust me. I, I'm a sponge. Like I read a lot. i love to listen. I actually a pretty good listener for fast as I talk. My mother always said, I watched her tell my brother, let the other person speak. And that always resonated with me. Like, just listen, there's not enough listeners in the world that aren't everyone wants to be heard. Right. Mm-hmm. And so if that by default is leadership, yes, then I am, you know, but I, uh, I, I firmly believe in it. It's pretty simple principles in just life in general, just being respectful of people, you know what I mean? Being polite, you know, being thoughtful and acknowledging when someone else does something good acknowledge because there's too many people who are too proud to do that. They're, they're jealous, whatever else. Be happy for them, you know, but don't be fake about it. I mean, if it's not a good idea, but, and there's just not enough of that. And again, none of this is rocket science, What I'm telling you here, nothing here is is I'm breaking new ground. I just believe that you encapsulate all that good things will happen, you know? So that's essentially where, how I live my days.
0: Yeah. Well, I love it, man. Listen, thank you so much for being on the show. You know, I, I came in thinking we were going to have one kind of conversation and it went into a totally different dimension, which for me is like the favorite, my favorite kinds of conversations where I get to just see a whole different dimension of someone. And of course we've never met before, or even spoken before. So this was really, really cool. Uh, Really appreciate it. Thanks so much for being on.
1: I really appreciate you having me. Thank you guys. seriously. You
0: You bet. Okay, everyone we'll see you in the outro and until then Spencer drop the beat. You know, it's one of those things sometimes when you're talking to someone and you're thinking you're gonna have this discussion and it shifts into a totally different thing. Really, at first I wanted to know about Liquid Death, how they did it, you know, the story of the company. And more so, I actually just got interested in talking to Steve, a really cool guy. He's got a lot of great insights and a really just a cool story in his career. It's got me thinking so much about doing stuff your own way. And I don't mean your own way in a I don't care what anyone else thinks, but really just being who you are and leaning into that side while also continuing to grow and evolve and this is something I talk a lo- about a lot for sure the idea though that like who you are today matters totally matters Your good stuff you're challenges, you know, the stuff in between, it all matters. If you can find a way to harness who you really are and put that to work for you, not only can you have a great career, you can have a great career that matters to you, that holds meaning, that makes a difference. And I think Steve is such a great example of that. So thanks so much again for being on the show. And for everyone, before we close off, I want to remind you that we're produced and edited by Spencer Priest. Recorded by Patrick McKechnie and our design is by Tammy Levy. So we'll see you next time on One Step Beyond. One Step